listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. You can turn in your Bibles to Acts, the book of Acts, Acts 21, and the ushers are coming forward with Bibles, and if you don't have a Bible, we would love for you to take a Bible in your hand and, and uh, just raise your hand and the ushers will give you a Bible because we'd love for you to follow along, and, and uh, if you don't have a Bible at home, please take that Bible home with you and uh, use it and read it and encourage you to have a notebook handy and some, uh, have a pen and to take some notes as we go along as there's going to be some practical teaching today. I try as, as we look at God's word, things that encourage you to write down and in, in making decisions and trusting the Lord. And so it's really important that we um, are together in God's word in this way and encourage you to follow through and study of it this week, not just hear it, but to also uh, spend time in it this next week. So Acts 21, we'll look at that in a moment. This past week, we marked the 18th anniversary, I guess you could say anniversary isn't the best word, but 18 years since 9-11. The day that in so many ways our world changed. Everything changed in so many ways on that day. And through that tragedy, though, that took place there in New York and in other parts of, of, um, of the United States, stories began to emerge of incredible heroism and unwavering courage in those dark days. Now, the town or the community that uh, we were pastoring in at the time in Alberta uh, was just outside the Edmonton, CFB Edmonton, the military base there, and Canadian soldiers shortly after were getting trained and deployed to go to Afghanistan. We had soldiers in our church and, and their families that left for that tour, and before they left, they would come to me at times, and, and while it involved tears always, they would come to me and say, Meldon, if I do not return home, or am injured, would it be you that would come with the military personnel to tell my family? We don't want to hear, we don't, I don't want them to hear this news of an injury or even death that has come to me or, or that has happened from a stranger. We want it to be you. And those were tough, those were hard conversations that involved um, tears and, and a lot of sadness and yet we also just so appreciated and, 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 and valued their um, courage and their sacrifice as they went. In total, um, 40,000 Canadians um, served in Afghanistan. 158 died. 1,800 were injured. And thousands more of them suffering from post-traumatic stress that has, continues to take a toll in people's lives and families. And we look at that and we say, what commitment, what bravery, what sacrifice, what courage, what unwavering courage these soldiers have. And oftentimes, even in our news, even locally, we hear of stories. We've heard it this summer of great heroism where somebody is struggling. Someone has perhaps you know, gone out for a swim and now they're, they're drowning. And people in risking their own lives and at times first responders, but at times just ordinary people who will jump into situations putting their own lives at risk to save or rescue someone else. Again, unwavering courage. Would you do that? Would you go that far? Would you, are you a person with that unwavering courage? I think in some ways we have no idea until the pressure actually hits if we would stand with unwavering courage or if we would buckle in fear. 
But I also wonder in this room today if there's unwavering courage in other areas. Would I or am I even currently standing with unwavering courage and commitment and confidence in the Word of God, entrusting His promises and the convictions that are in God's Word in the midst of great pressure to buckle? Uh, are we ready to, and willing to stand on the truths of God's Word when life falls apart? Are we or would we stand with unwavering courage and trust in God when what we have hoped for and prayed for and planned for and dreamed for for a long time does not happen or crumbles and fails? Will we stand with unwavering courage when a marriage is difficult or comes to an end? Will we stand with unwavering courage when the diagnosis is not what we are hoping for, the healing doesn't come or the loved one dies. How about standing with unwavering courage and commitment when you are passed over for a job or a career advancement because you are unwilling to conform or agree to shady or unethical dealings or business practices? Everyone's doing it even other Christians, so what's wrong with it we could justify. But will we stand on with unwavering courage on the truths of God's word and what it calls us and how we are called to live? Will we stand with un unwavering courage when we are ridiculed and mocked, marginalized at school, in the workplace, by the teacher, the professor, the co-worker, by even friends or family members for the stand that we are taking on the truths of God's word, especially in the hot topic areas that we see going on today, areas like creationism or abortion or the LGBTQ uh, situations or transgender or doctor-assisted suicide. God's word has much to say on this and are we willing to stand in love but stand in truth with unwavering courage in these areas? Would you be willing to take a stand for the truth of God's word if it's going to cost you money, cost you a job, a career, a friendship, even with other Christians? Would you stand with unwavering courage if it looks like you could even head to jail for standing on the truth of God's word? And I believe in so many different ways, folks, we need to ready ourselves for these kind of questions and, and who we are and the commitments and the convictions that we have today are going to carry us through for the remainder of our lives and will be what will be determined if we will stand with unwavering courage or if we will buckle, if we will fail, if we will quit or just give up. And I believe that for every follower of Christ... There will be seasons in life and probably multiple seasons and multiple major decisions and, and opportunities that we will have. We will come to a crisis point where we will need to stand with unwavering courage on the convictions and the truth of God's word and what the spirit is telling us to do. And either we will obey or we will disobey. We will buckle or we will prevail and press on. And so today and in the coming weeks, we will be looking at the Apostle Paul and kind of some of the end of his life and, and how things went for him. How with unwavering courage, he withstood incredible pressure to give up in fulfilling God's mission for his life. And so today we're starting a new message series called Fulfilling the Mission, and, and it is based on the book of Acts. 
When we launched this church five years ago in the fall, we started in Acts chapter 1 with this series about the church begins, and then every fall except for one, we have taken a portion of the book of Acts, and we have taken it in, and studied it, and, and it's amazing how each one has applied to different aspects of our church's life and development. And so today and is the start uh, where we start in chapter 21, and Lord willing, this fall we will make it through to chapter 20 and finish this amazing book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. In reality, it's the Acts of the Holy Spirit working through the Apostles and, and through the people of God. And in these last few chapters, we see Paul in the center of a lot of controversy, and we see Paul with an opportunity to stand with unwavering courage or to take the way out and to buckle, and does he do that, and we will see that, and, and all of those message series are found online at hopecolona.ca, so if you're interested at all in just kind of working through the book of Acts on your own, feel free to do so to get caught up or to remember what we talked about in the last five years as we've been working through this book, but today we can learn from the Apostle Paul when the pressure is real, when there is pressure to give up, that we can stand with unwavering courage despite a lot of temptation and pressure to cave or to give up, that we must persevere. And so I encourage you to write this down. In order for us to stand and not give up, we must, first of all, remember our calling and press on. We press on remembering the calling that we have been given. The Apostle Paul has finished his, his, is finishing here in Acts 21 as we begin uh, in here and we'll be reading in just a moment. He's finishing his third missionary journey that lasted probably about four years, which included three years spending it in Ephesus, a city, a church, a people that he loved dearly. And so he was able to spend three years, do some writing and do some teaching and equipping of the church there. But now, uh, in chapter 1, or just even before that, in, in chapter 20, at the very end, he's leaving Miletus. And, and you're going to see this on a stage, or, or on, on the slide here, on the screen. And you're going to see through the work of modern technology, you're going to see that little circle change as we read through. So, kind of one eye in, in the Word of God, and one eye on the map as we work through this travel log of Paul. And we're going to see, thankfully for people who can do this for us, you're going to see this map move in just just really non-exciting, but yet a way for you to kind of understand and just get a feel for what is actually taking place here in the book of Acts as we read that these are real places, real situations that we're facing, that Paul was facing. And so in Acts 21, verse 1, we're going to start here and we're going to look through the first three verses. And it says, and when we had parted from them and set sail, we came by straight, by straight course to Kos. See, now look at it, it just moved to Kos, isn't that cool? And the next day to Rhodes, again, good movement, and from there to Patera. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had come in sight of Cyprus, so, so we're not going to highlight Cyprus because they never stopped at Cyprus, the island there, that nice little purple island, they just went by it, it was in the left-hand left side as they're cruising by it, they saw Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre. And for there the ship was to unload its cargo. And so they go a, a great distance by ship on, as they're headed towards Jerusalem. Now, this might seem like just a boring travel log when you first read it. 
and, and, and it's just like, okay, what can we get from God's word here? What is this all about? Boring, you know, and yet, and, and, and quite honestly, when I was looking at this early in this week, I'm like, oh my goodness, like, where does this go? And how do we preach through this? We believe God's word is alive and active. And, and yet, there is so much about this, and, 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 and it teaches us some very valuable truths that we can even glean from this. And folks, remember that every piece, part, word, sentence, paragraph, every part of God's word is put in the Word of God for a reason. It's meant to inform us, to inspire us, to build into us. And sometimes you're going to hear people say, oh, the Bible is just a bunch of myths and fables and, and stories, and did they even really happen and all that? Well, here we see God's Word, which is more of a history of the salvation of mankind. We see that it is in actual places, happening in actual times, Events that are taken in the lives of people. And so this is real life. This is real stuff that is happening. And so when we see the highs and the lows, we see the victories, we see the defeats, we see it happen to real people. Either going in the power of God or when they're failing, they're not going in the power of God. They're living in the power of sin or, or living in their own strength and their own power. And so, so this just pads our knowledge and our understanding of the authority and, and how special and accurate the word of God is. And see, and what we can gather from this is that here we have this historical account, and, and we can learn much from this. What we know from the earlier part, if you were to study and read it, and if you know about the book of Acts, Paul, in his writings, in other passages, but as well here, as we see Dr. Luke writing in, in the book of Acts, he's the one who, who, who penned this by the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul is in a big hurry to get to Jerusalem. You see Jerusalem on the map there? That's where he wants to get to. That is his end game. That's where he wants to get to. He wants to get there. He's in a hurry. He wants to be there to celebrate Passover. The time is coming. He wants to get there. And next week, we'll look at some of the reasons why he wanted to get there and why he was in such a hurry. But part of it is he wanted to celebrate with the people the Feast of Passover, and he had a, a, a whole bunch of money that they had brought with him. He had a traveling companion crew, Silas, Dr. Luke was with him, as well as some others. They had money that had been collected on that missionary journey. See the journey there outlined in red. He was collecting money from the churches because the churches all throughout Asia and Europe uh, in these regions had heard of the trouble in the church of Jerusalem, the persecution that was going on, how there was a famine in the land. And so they're like, we want to give money. The, this was our sending church. This is where it all began. They're in trouble. We want to help them out. And so Paul and his friends uh, are on this, this tour. They're heading towards Jerusalem. They've got money, and Paul just wants to see the church once again. It had been years since he had been there, and he wanted to see them. He was in a hurry. And so why would he do this? Why would he do all of this, especially as we're going to see knowing what would what he would be facing. I mean, this guy had lived a faithful life, 20 plus years, probably 25 plus years already serving the Lord. And it would have been so easy for him to do what you're doing right now, find a nice easy chair somewhere, hit the remote. I guess they wouldn't have had that, had some sort of a contraption pulley system to pull it up and so he could have a recliner, sit back, take it easy. How tempting it would have been for him to stay. And we'll know he was tempted to stay in Ephesus right before this, the dear people who he loved so much, it would have been so great to stay there instead of knowing what he was going to be facing and still what was going to go on for his life. He would have loved to have stayed in Ephesus. But he continued on. He continued on. And so why did he do this? Why? Because Paul remembered his calling. He remembered 
the mission that God had for him. That he needed to fulfill the mission. He needed to to stay faithful until God called him home or ended the mission for him in some way. And so chapter 20 ends and and chapter 21 begins with Paul at the port of Miletus, all right? And so he's at the port of Miletus and, and, um, and, and then he continues on. And it's there in chapter 20, if you just even turn in your Bibles, if you have to flip the page or whatever, an amazing, amazing uh, portion of scripture is Paul is meeting with these dear friends. He doesn't even want to go. He goes from Miletus. If you just put that map back up there, you'll see where Miletus is um, on that map, if you're able to flip it back, wonderful and you'll see Ephesus. It was about a 20, 30-mile journey. He didn't go into Ephesus. He stopped because he was in a hurry, but he also knew that if he went into Ephesus, he may be tempted to not leave, and the people there, there would have been so many people to see, oh, Paul's in town. Let's visit. Let's have potluck. Let's hang out. Let's do all this. And so instead, he sends for the Ephesian elders, come to Miletus, has this emotional time with these elders as he gives them some parting words, and they were all sad because they knew that they would not see him again. And so chapter 21 starts in verse 1, it says, when we had departed from them. Now, that word departed is important to understand. We just think, well, when they departed, they, you know, just, no, this was an emotional farewell. That word departed means a tearing, a ripping apart. He was, he was getting on that ship, and he was leaving his dear friends, and it was so hard. It was heartbreaking. It was emotional. It was like tearing them apart to be, to have to say farewell to one another. Farewells can be rather emotional, can't they? They can really stink at times. When friends, when loved ones, when we say goodbye to them, when they move, when God calls them to go elsewhere. I remember as a young kid fighting back tears in the Regina airport growing as, as a young kid grew up in, in Regina and, and our family would gather at the Regina airport once every four, every five years it basically turned out to be because I had an aunt who served um, in Gabon, Africa for 25 years as a missionary and, and we would go and we would say farewell to her uh, once uh, once every five years, I guess it would turn out to be because she would leave and be gone for five years and then she would, or for four years and return home for one year. And it would be so difficult to say goodbye. And then I even heard that my, my grandparents and my aunt, who she lived in their basement suite when she was at home on furlough, that the week before that she would leave, my grandparents would be crying all week long. And she would be crying. Because farewells are hard, they're emotional, they're not easy if you've ever have done that to dear friends and to loved ones. Communication back then wasn't like what we have now with the internet and email and texting and all of that, FaceTime and Skype and all of these different things. The only way we could really communicate with her was through mail. And even when a cousin of mine died in a car accident, she didn't find out. She found out by telegram four days after he passed away. She found out the day of the funeral and was able to drive 20 miles to be able to make a phone call to the family to find out all the details of what happened. That was so hard for those farewells that she would make or the emotional farewell that we had last week, like this one for our son. Now, some of you might, like this might be a weird perspective for you. This is a picture I took of the rear view mirror of our car as we left our son at the Bible school. We drove with him a little ways. He says, I don't want to cry in front of my friends at the Bible school. And so we drove a little ways. We hugged, we prayed, and then he got out and he started walking. This is actually a video that I've watched a few times since. And I didn't play it for you because there's just too many sniffles. 
Um, emotional farewells. They're hard. They're not easy. And this is what Paul was experiencing. You have to understand, he, there was great reason to stay in Ephesus, to live a comfortable life, to just kind of sit back and say, I've planted churches. I've had three missionary tours. I've done my share. I've done this. And yet he is compelled, and we see that he continues to remember the calling that God has upon his life. And folks, we cannot forget the calling that God has. We, we will get tempted by the calling of so many other things. Worldly success and fame, money, possessions, toys, houses, relationships, all these things. But first and foremost, we must remember the calling that God has upon our lives, and we must press on to that and not give up. No matter how hard, no, how difficult, how tempted we are towards comfort and ease. But Paul continued on. He withstood the pressure to give up by remembering his calling. And when did that calling start? Approximately 25 years before that in Acts chapter 9. You can write down Acts 9 and you can read the story once again of his calling and what took place. Paul was on a different mission, wasn't he? He was on an opposite mission to destroy the church, not to build the church, not to proclaim Christ, but to defame Christ and to destroy the church. He was, uh, he was a terrorist of terrorists. He was creating havoc in the cities. He was creating havoc in the churches and he was rounding up Christians and seeing, seeing to it that they were silenced either by jail or by death. But then he encounters Jesus. He has an encounter with Jesus that would change everything in, in his life. He had that vision. He had that encounter. And he was a changed man, a transformed man. Paul was then baptized and his, and his life was totally rearranged. He becomes, instead of someone trying to destroy the church, but now to build the church, he became a proclaimer of the truth, a proclaimer of the gospel, a proclaimer of Jesus Christ. And amidst great adversity and persecution and suffering and trials and beatings and things that took place, he continued on. And this is why even at one point he even said, follow me as I follow Christ. This wasn't, that wasn't an arrogant statement on his behalf at all, but he desired to be faithful. He desired to be that example as he follows Christ that we would learn from these kind of earthly examples I'm so thankful for the history, church history of, of throughout the centuries of men and women faithful to the word of God. I am thankful for faithful men and women of God that I've experienced and I've, I've observed and have had them a part of my life for many years. One of those dear men just showed up for church today, just kind of randomly, had no idea except yesterday, I guess you texted and wondered if church was happening, like, duh, it's, it always happens. Oh, he didn't quite wonder about that, but he let me know he was, he was coming. And, and, and Pete and Shirley, people who have stayed faithful, people here in the body of Christ, some of you have been followers of Christ, serving the Lord in behind-the-scenes ministry in churches for years, and, and God has called you to be faithful in, in proclaim, being a proclaimer of His and a support and encouragement in doing the work of God, and we are to remain faithful, remember the calling. And you wonder, how could Paul do it? How could he endure so much? What kept him going? And folks, this is so important. This is what kept him going. It was his calling. You see, we won't stand for Jesus. We won't serve him long term. We won't serve him faithfully unless we first stand in awe of him. You see, we need to behold him before we behave. It's in standing in awe, and that's what Paul had experienced when he was on that road to Damascus. He stood in awe of Jesus Christ. He understood his sin. He understood the sacrifice of Christ. 
And when we understand and never forget, never forget what Christ has done for us, that Jesus was willing, what he was willing to embrace on our behalf, the deep cost of our salvation, leaving the glory of heaven to come to this world, this sinful, sick world, and to live out and fulfill God's plan and God's mission for his life here on earth. Jesus did that. He lived in faithfulness and he died and then rose again, being faithful to the calling. He came to this earth and lived that sinless, perfect life, was punished and beaten, though he did not deserve it. He died in our place, taking the cross, taking the death of a criminal, putting upon himself all of the wrongdoing upon himself and bore it to the cross for us, taking the wrath of God that we so deserved that was coming our way, taking it upon himself and then rising in victory. And so all who call in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. And repenting when we come to him and we repent of our sins and we receive his forgiveness in our lives. And that repentance means we're going to follow his way now. We're going to follow his path, not Jesus come to him for salvation and go and live our plan, our agenda, but we desire to live for him. You see, we love John 3.16, don't we? Love John 3.16. Love it, love it, love it. It's eternity changing. It's everything. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes on him will not perish but has everlasting life. But that word believe isn't just a nice little, yes, I believe, pray a prayer, and now I'm going to go and, you know, going to have eternal life and go and do this. No, that believe means rely on, trust in, cling to, we rely on, we trust and we cling to Jesus. But then we also have to remember, and maybe we don't like nearly as much, Luke 9, 23 to 25, where Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, if anyone's going to be a follower of mine, if anyone's going to be a believer, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And in so many ways, folks, it's coming daily to that point and say, God, it's not about me, it's about you. God, would people be attracted to you today in and through me and not be attracted to me? God, would you increase more and more and, and, and would I decrease? God, would I live for your plan, your agenda this day and for the rest of my life? See, it's, not, it's about following God's plan, his mission, his direction for our lives, not, hey, Jesus, get on my plan, get on my agenda. My bus is headed this way, Jesus, jump on. And Jesus says, no, we're headed this way. Join me in this mission. Join me in the mission that I have. And what is that mission? It's to glorify him. It's to tell others about him. That's the general. It's to, to, to grow in that relationship. It's, it's growing our sanctification. But you know, following Jesus, it's not always going to be easy, nor is it always going to be fun. It's not going to guarantee at all, at all, at all, at all, at all, at all, a trouble-free life. We follow Jesus, though, because it's true. Because it's where real life is found. It is where real, soul-satisfying joy is. And sometimes not in the short term. Sometimes in the short term, it is heartache and it's confusion and it's like, what in the world is going on? And yet we come back and we just continue to put our faith and our trust. We remember our call when there's pressure to give up, to give in, to, to just to, 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 to tap out. We must remember our calling and we must press on. We remember what, he's, what he does for us. Even this morning, as we are worshiping the Lord together and we sang that song again, and, and oh, that we would just stand continually in awe of Jesus. We are singing that song. My sin, 
Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole. Every, every, every sin I've committed. Every nasty, disgusting sin, thought that you've had can be forgiven. Not in whole, or not in part, but the whole. It's nailed to the cross. And we bear it no more. When God looks at us, he doesn't see our sin. When we run to him in forgiveness and confess, I mean, that just blows us away. And we remember our calling, folks. We remember what he's done for us. And we say, what do you need me to do? I'm yours. Sometimes I really struggle when we sing, and even a, a version of that today, all to Jesus I surrender. I'm glad we didn't sing the chorus, I surrender all, you know that one? Because I think we have to sing, and I've talked about this before, that we need to sing it. I surrender almost everything. I surrender almost everything. Because we don't want to lie, right? No, it's surrender. It's, it's remembering what he's done for us, and as we stand in awe of him, we take a stand for him, and we are willing to do what he calls us to do, to fulfill the mission when there's pressure to give up, and that's what Paul did. He remembered his calling. So I wonder today, have you answered that salvation call upon your life? Have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior? And if so, are you living out that mission that he's called you to live out? But you might say, but, but, but what's the more specifics? I mean, the specifics is, yes, I, I live for God, I go to church, I read my Bible, I do some of these things. But what are the specifics? Yes, to glorify him, to be faithful in the word, um, to direct people to Jesus. Yes, what is that? But what about some of the specifics? What about some of the specific things? And I want this to be practical. And, and I just want to give you this morning a few practical steps even in here of how we can determine God's will. How, how you know, we can say, you know, how do I know this major decisions that I should make in my life? I encourage you to write this down because at some point you're going to need this and you're going to need to be reminded of this. And the first thing, seek good advisors. People who can and speak honestly, godly wisdom, speak the scriptures into your life. And this is in no particular order because the next one is even the most important of it all. But you need trusted advisors who, who, who will Speak the honest truth into your life. Second of all, spend time with God regularly. How can we know God's will for our lives if we're not going to the one who knows all things? How can we have divine and great wisdom if we're not running to the one who has ultimate wisdom? And so it's time spent in the word of God, just building that foundation in our lives daily in the word of God, daily in prayer, seeking him. And then third, thirdly, this is really important, realizing that God's will may not always be what you want. You see, so oftentimes we think God's desires for us have to line up with our desires. God, if you love me, you're going to give me what I want. And God says, no, 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 no. If you love me, I will give you what you want, or what I want for you. I know what's best for you. And it's coming to trust him in that. And so seeking good advisors, spending time with him regularly in worship, in prayer, in, in the word of God, and realizing that God's will may not always be what we want. But then 
And the second thing here, uh, as we move back to the heart of the message, uh, when there's pressure to give up, we, can re- we remember our calling and press on, but then number two, we must understand the temptation is real and we don't give up. The temptation is real and we must not give up. We keep pressing on. Before we actually press a little further into into the text, I want to give you just, again, some practical reasons why we quit. Here's some practical reasons why we quit when it comes to fulfilling God's mission for us. This is why we quit. We bail out. We just start living our own mission. We do our own things. And, And one of the first ones is pain. We experience pain. People you are ministering to, people you care about, don't appreciate it. God's not blessing or rewarding your life, your ministry, how you're desiring to serve him and live for him with success. Instead, you're just getting feedback that is not good. You're getting just a lot of stuff thrown back at you. And we will experience trials and difficulties and this pain and suffering. And so, and, and we see Paul experience much of that, and yet he pressed on. But Temptation, pressure to quit, reasons we quit is because of the pain that we experience, but we need to press on in that. Again, having people in our court, praying with us, standing with us. Another reason we quit is fatigue. We work hard, we go hard, we press hard, serving, trusting, trying. We don't see quick results. And yet we must realize that, that, that fruitfulness oftentimes does not, fruitfulness does not happen immediately. When you plant a, a seed in the ground, you don't get fruit the next day. It takes time. But there's fatigue and there's times we need rest. Even Jesus and his disciples pulled away. They were fatigued. They were tired. They were getting worn out. And we need that as well. We need healthy rhythms in our lives. We need days off. We need seasons where we take time to focus on the Lord and, and we need breaks in our lives. But also another reason why we quit is a divided heart. We want to follow Jesus, but we love comfort. We want to follow Jesus, but we love sex too much and, and, and we'll turn to sexual immorality. We love Jesus, but we love material possessions too much. We love the approvals of others. And, and, and oh, would we be like the, the psalmist David when he said, Oh Lord, give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name, that I may honor your name, that I may revere your name in all things. And so I, I trust that, that, that we would even examine some of the reasons why maybe we're tempted to quit or have quit or are in the process of quitting out or giving out on God's calling and God's mission upon our lives. Pain, fatigue, divided hearts. But then second thing here as we continue now back into the message, um, we must understand the pressure is real and we don't give up and the pressure may come though from our foes. Foes uh, are reason for why we want to quit. We have, uh, we're in a spiritual battle. We're going to face Uh, People will mock us and ridicule us. They will be against the gospel. They will be against just us. They may, for whatever reason, just dislike us. Maybe it's our hairstyle or the way we talk or the way we look. And and, and we're going to have foes that are just going to be there to discourage and and, and, and to uh, just causing us to want to quit out. But then some other temptations or pressures when it comes to quitting can be family and friends. Family and friends could at times pressure us to quit and to give up on God's plan and God's mission for our lives. Back here to Acts 21, Paul was traveling with his traveling companions. They're entire at this time. Let's pick it up in verse 4. And it says, And having sought out the disciples, this is entire, so they, they, they landed entire and the ship needed to unload its cargo. And, and that's so they, they, were, they sought out the disciples. It says, We stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. 
When our days there had ended, we departed and went on our journey, and they all, uh, and they all with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship, and they returned home. Don't you just love the body of Christ? These are more than likely strangers to Paul. He had never met them. In fact, they believe that this church here in Tyre was actually started because of the wave of persecution that 20-some years earlier that Paul had precipitated, had caused. When Stephen was martyred, he was there. Paul was watching Stephen, the first martyr. And when that took place, it says the, the believers scattered, and they scattered, and what did they do? They proclaimed the gospel, and church was started, and, and they believe the church entire began as a result of the persecution that Paul started. And so Paul gets there, and he's there for seven days, and becomes dear friends, close friends with these people, and by the time he leaves seven days later, there's a bond and a closeness, and they're like, don't leave, Paul, don't leave, and they're crying, and they're on, on the beach, and, and, and they're praying with him, and they're so sad, and then it starts on in verse seven, when we had finished the voyage from Tyre, Back to the map, we'll see it there on Tyre, wonderful. Um, we arrived in Ptolemus, and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. Now, this is Philip. This is the guy. He was one of the seven. He was one of the seven deacons that was chosen in Acts 6 to help, help in the distribution daily of the food. As, as the church was growing and expanding, they had a whole department, kind of a food bank set up and an opportunity to help widows and orphans and those who were being overlooked. And so he was chosen as one, as one of the godly deacons to help take care of the, the needs in the church. This is the same Philip. He was faithful there. He was faithful. He was a great evangelist in Samaria. He caught, he, he, the Lord used him in a great way to bring a great revival to, to that region, and he was the one who shared the gospel with the Ethiopian, Ethiopian eunuch in, in Acts chapter 8 and, and baptized him. Now we see 20 years later, 20 years later, Philip is there, he's been faithful, he and his wife have raised four daughters who prophesied. And you say, okay, well, what's that all about, this prophecy thing? And, well, we're unsure exactly if their gift of prophecy was like the Old Testament prophets and prophetesses that we see as there's kind of a change in, in kind of what's taking place here between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Or is this a reference to the speaking forth of the Word of God, uh, which is, is commonly used today? God's Word is being prophesied. It is being spoken. It is being foretold here, uh, what we're doing here this morning. So were they speaking and teaching God's Word? All we know is that he had raised some godly and some gifted women who were serving the Lord. And so here is Philip, 20 years later, still going strong. They're still fired his bones. Years later, he's raised a family. He's been faithful to the word of God. And I'm sure it was such a blessing, such an encouragement for Paul and the crew to be there. Just a little side note here on that. Perhaps you're sitting here this morning and you kind of think, you know, my life's not making that much of a difference. I don't seem to have a lot of influence. There's a lot of mundaneness in my life between the diapers or maybe your job is like digging a ditch and you're just like, it's really not going anywhere except deeper and darker. Or, 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 or maybe it's just kind of your schooling is boring or maybe it just kind of seems you're just in a season where it's just like, I don't even know if I'm being used by God very much. Stay faithful. Stay faithful. 
Not everyone will have a different calling and everyone has been gifted differently. Stay faithful. As he's called you to work in the home or in the church and whatever it is in front, behind the scenes, early in the morning, late at night, at work, stay faithful. Stay faithful in glorifying God and living an obedient life to the word of God the best you can. Stay faithful in your repentance of sin. Stay faithful to those that you rub shoulders with as being an example of, of Christ's love. There may not seem, and maybe your life may, you may look at it and say, it just seems I have little influence. No, you have huge influence. You have no idea How you staying faithful can be such an encouragement to others as you simply remain faithful to what God has called you to do. Day in, day out, week after week, month after month, stay faithful. What encouragement this must have been for Paul and the crew visiting with Philip, seeing him still going strong. Last week when we went to the Bible College in Saskatchewan to drop our son off, through the sadness as we were leaving, we were also just kind of blown away by some of the old faithful friends that we ran into. I mean, I don't feel old. I mean, I still keep telling people, I don't even think I've hit my prime yet, you know, and, and, and still waiting for that to happen, you know, like it just, we're gearing up for something great, you know, and, 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 and yet we were blown away that by some of the people we ran into. There was a young adult in the young adult group that Charlotte and I were leading in the church when we started in ministry together in, in Saskatoon, who is now the dean of, woman, dean of women at this Bible college. Hadn't been in touch with her for 25 years. And there was Michelle, and Michelle has stayed faithful, a woman of true conviction. And she says, oh, I can't wait to tell my brother and his, his wife and their family that Melden and Charlotte, I, that you guys are doing well, and you're serving the Lord, and you're staying faithful to the Word of God. And there was this mutual like, ah, oh, this is amazing, this is beautiful. Or I ran into Trevor. He was my next door neighbor for just a couple of years. They lived next door to us and never, honestly, sadly, never thought of him. Never, you know, they moved on and moved on with their lives, but I'm like, wow, does he ever look like the dude that lived next door to us except older and bald? And, and, uh, and it was Trevor, and Trevor is now a pastor, and Trevor is now bringing his child to, to Bible school just like we were, and Trevor has stayed faithful. It was like, wow, that's so awesome. As I was walking in the dining hall as they had a nice meal for the parents, I'm walking along with my plate of food, and, and uh, this guy goes, Meldon? Meldon Lutzer? I'm like, yes, and, and he pulls off his hat, and he's bald, and I'm looking at him, and he says, you are my camp counselor back at Dallasville. I'm like, right, Stephen Lusink, and he was like, you remembered, and I said, you remembered, and he says, I've lost my hair, and I said, I haven't, you know, and, and it was awesome, and, and so touched again. Here, he was, he was an interesting kid to be a, a camp counselor towards, big mouth, little brat, and all of this. And, and now he's raising his son. He has, he's married. He has all his teeth. He's lost his hair. And yet the awesome thing is, he's following the Lord and is bringing up his children in that way. And his daughter is going to Bible school. Awesome. It, it was just like, this is awesome. Stay faithful. Stay faithful to what God has called you to do. And you will be, you are an encouragement to those around you. So stay faithful. Faithfulness makes a difference. Don't quit. Don't quit. Verse 10. 
While we were staying there for many days, a, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet in his hands and said, Thus saith the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews of Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. <laughs> when we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go to Jerusalem. So Paul has believers in Tyre saying, hey, don't go to Jerusalem. The Spirit told us, don't go, don't, don't go to Jerusalem. It's too dangerous. Now in Caesarea, dramatic display, prophet coming and taking off Paul's belt, wrapping up, you know, like this would have been, Old Testament prophets were usually pretty dramatic, and, and Agabus is doing this in the form of an Old Testament prophet, taking off Paul's belt, binding up his wrists and his chains, and say, this is what's going to happen to the owner of this belt if you go to Jerusalem. And so the people, including Paul's own companions, Dr. Luke, says, don't go. Now, this passage has set off a lot of different debates over the years amongst Bible scholars and commentators. Was Paul in sin because he was being warned not to go and yet he's still going, ignoring the warnings? Was he living recklessly? Was he endangering the lives of those that were going to go with him in this? Was he crashing through the Holy Spirit stop signs and taking himself out of the will of God and going to Jerusalem after being warned in these significant ways? Or was he following God's will by continuing on? In, in looking just simply at this text and what you would read, it would be easy to conclude, yep, Paul was in sin. He was being disobedient. People were telling him, godly people were, were telling him, people in the spirit were saying, it's going to be dangerous. And then they were saying, don't go. And folks, this is why it's so important though that we know and we understand God's word, just not in the small little part that we're studying and reading, but that little passage or that, those few verses, we have to understand it in the context. And so this is a good practice that we're going to see here take place just in a few moments as we look at God's word. When it comes to confusing passages or seeing things that seems to perhaps contradict in, in, in what the general rule of, rule of scripture might be or, or how we're to follow God, and so what we need to do is take that verse, examine it in context, and we see, well, first of all, as, as we examine it in the larger context, when Paul got saved in Acts chapter 9, and he came to Ananias, and, or, uh, the, the uh, prophet that came to him at that time, or the disciple that came to Paul, and he told, the Lord told him to tell Paul, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel, for I will show him how much he will have to suffer from, for my name's sake. When Paul first became a believer, he was told, hey, one day you're going to suffer. You're going to suffer for the name of Jesus, and you're going to stand before kings and the children of Israel. Up until this time, that hadn't happened yet. He hadn't stood in Jerusalem yet in defense of his faith. He still had not stood before kings and magistrates. And what would happen in the chapters ahead as he goes to Jerusalem will set this all in order. We see in Acts chapter 19 verse 21, just before this, it says, Paul was resolved in the spirit to go to Jerusalem. The spirit was telling him, you're going to Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 21 and 22, he tells his dear friends, I'm constrained by the spirit to go to Jerusalem. And so here we have the Holy Spirit revealing to these believers in Tyre, in Caesarea, what he's already been revealing to Paul. Hey, Paul, suffering, chains, pain awaits you. See, they love Paul so much. They're concerned for him, and they're saying, don't go. 
And even more proof that we know that Paul wasn't in sin, or I believe he wasn't in sin, is later on in Acts 23, Paul is standing before the Sanhedrin, he's standing in, in, in the courtroom, and he says, I've lived my life in good conscience before God to this day. I don't believe you could stand before and say that, that I've lived my life in good conscience if he was willfully sinning against the Holy Spirit and coming to Jerusalem. So I believe it's very clear, and the Bible is very clear in not hiding people's faults and failures and shortcomings. And if Paul would have been in sin, I'm sure the Bible would have revealed that. And so we see and we learn a really important lesson. This is why I tell you all of this. It just isn't to give you more Bible knowledge. Paul had people come and confirm and prophesy and share with him that more and serious troubles were coming. And these were people who loved and they cared for Paul and they didn't want to see him hurt. But folks, sometimes we have to understand the majority sometimes can be wrong. And we have to follow God. You see, challenges to following the Lord will come from foes, but it can also come from family and dear friends. Sometimes it's in the form of love from people who love us and, and they think they know what, what is best for us. They think they know they don't want to see us get hurt. They don't want to see us leave. Your child or a dear friend comes to you and says, I believe God's calling me to go to the mission field. And, and, and for any parent, when you hear that, I'm sure, and some of you have experienced that, and there's been a big gulp in your throat, and, and, and right where you're thinking, no way, no way, no way. And where do you want to go? No, you can't go there. That would be awful. That's, that's a terrible idea. It's dangerous. There's disease. There's, it's so far away. And, and they may try different things. And, and it's true what could be happening, that it's dangerous. There's disease. Or the response is just one of perhaps selfishness on their behalf or, or even guilt because you're going on serving the Lord and they're not and they're just kind of feeling guilty about it. Now there's times that we do need to speak to people. If, if you're coming to, if your child or a dear friend comes and says, hey, I want to go to the mission field and, and, and you're like, no way should you be going. First of all, you haven't been trained yet and you need to get training but you have some major areas of sin in your life. God's power cannot and will not work through you if you're involved in these areas of sinfulness. And see, there's a difference between danger and not being qualified for something. And so at times, good and well-meaning friends will come to us and offer us words and even at times say, the Lord told me, have to be so careful when you hear that, and they may discourage and dissuade us, but we need to hear from God and we need to follow how the Holy Spirit is leading us. I think every major decision that Charlotte and I have made in ministry, and even before I was married to her, even in marrying her, we had loved ones, we had friends, I had sought out trusted advisors. Some said, yes, great idea what you're looking at doing, and others say, no, don't go. And ultimately, we have to follow what God's word and what God is revealing to us by the Spirit. And so when there's pressure to give up, we must understand the temptation is real to give up, but we don't. And then third and finally, as we bring this to a close, we must walk in determined confidence by faith. It says, then Paul, in verse 13, answered, what are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready, not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, he ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. Paul would not be deterred. He set his eyes on Jerusalem because he had his eyes firmly fixed on Jesus. And Luke and the others that were with him 
And they prayed with him and they saw how the Lord was leading him and they even came to the conclusion, let the Lord's will be done. Would that be our prayer here today in our own lives? That we would walk in a determined confidence, an unwavering confidence that we would trust him and not back out. That we would stand first and foremost in awe of Jesus, our Savior, our eyes on him, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Let's bow our heads together. And God, I pray that today there would be a resolve within each one of us to live out your plan and your purposes for our lives. Folks, there, I believe there's folks here today, God, that are, are right now um, making some big decisions in their lives. Would they discern what your good and your perfect will is through the word, through prayer, through wise counsel, through the confirmation of the Holy Spirit? And if that means taking a day, taking days to seek you, to, to spend time with you and to hear from you, oh God, would they, would they do that? God, would our lives be faithful to the mission that you've called each one of us to? Whether that's a mission, it seems right now, of mundaneness, or whether it's a mission that is way and way larger than we could ever imagine. Oh God, would we keep the main thing, the main things in our lives? Would we, at the end of our lives and, and daily, would we, even at the end of each day, be able to say, hey, I've been faithful to the word the best that I can, and when I haven't, I've repented. Would we be people who would be able at the end of the day and the end of our lives and say, I told the truth. I desired to be a person of truth. Would we at the end of each day and the end of our lives say, I directed the people's attention towards Jesus and not towards me today? And would we say at the end of each day and at the end of our lives, I have finished strong. I have not given up. God, I pray that we would be surrendered to your will, to your plan. We would not give up. We would hold true to the promises. And even at times we see your word and we see the reality of what's going on in our lives. And, and, and God, we just need the faith to say, I believe, I believe. I'm going to follow you, God. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to repent. I'm going to come clean. I'm going to end this relationship. I'm going to start serving you in this area, this category, this, this area of my life. I'm going to quit this. I'm going to start. Whatever it is, oh God, would we hear from you and would we be faithful to your word? Would we be faithful to living out that mission that you have for each one of us? Let's worship the Lord together in repentance and in worship.